Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast. Straightforward and out with it. Current events, local, world news, and trending. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. So come on out and join me. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody had a fine Monday. The start to your work week or whatever um, you'll be doing this Monday. So come on out here and join me. So let's get those thank yous out there, ladies and gentlemen, to all of our workers out there and our essential workers, of course, and our frontline workers, our doctors and our nurses, our paramedics and our police, and our fire departments. I thank you for the job that you do day in and day out. And also thank you to my listeners and my followers. I thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen or join me here on the Truckers Podcast. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, I was uh, just looking at some articles um, to go over, and I have a couple of them here. And um, it looks as though um, vaccines. Um, will be um, rolling out here in Canada um, pretty soon um, this month once our uh, everything gets gets approved here in Canada. But I came across this article, and this is from. Uh, the Ontario government in the province of Ontario, which I live. Now, this is from our health minister. And she is saying here, Ontario health, health minister says, getting a coronavirus vaccine won't be mandatory but those who don't receive a shot could face restrictions. And we'll get into that to who those people 
this might be. Christine Elliott, who is our health minister here in Ontario, made the remarks during an update on the province's COVID-19 vaccine distribution plans today. We can't force anybody to take the vaccine, but I agree with the Premier. We really encourage everyone who is able to, to have the vaccination. There may be some restrictions in terms of travel or other restrictions that may arise as a result of not having a vaccination. But that's going to be up to the person themselves to make that decision on the basis of what's more important to them. But we do wish everyone to receive the vaccination. It's very important to receive the vaccination. Look at all the hard work that our government officials are putting into this and have put into this over a year or coming up on a year. Our federal government and our provincial government and our municipality government of everything that they're doing. And that we should all get vaccinated when it comes readily available for everybody. The health minister made the comment in response to a reporter's question as to whether or not employers, schools, or long-term care homes could be allowed to ask people for proof of vaccination. Generally, here in our public school system, that all children starting school must be up to date on their vaccinations. Constitutionally, I don't think we can force every single person to take it, and I just don't believe in forcing people to take it, our Premier uh, Doug Ford said today. Well, it's like you can't force people to take the flu shot. What I believe is encouraging everyone everyone possible out there to get a vaccination shot is going to protect all of us, but it's also going to get the economy moving forward. It's going to protect our healthcare system. It's going to protect our education system. We have COVID-19 throughout our schools here in the city of London. High schools, public schools. Hospital, the university hospital here in London has a major outbreak. On Monday, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, announced that Canada could, could start receiving doses of the Pfizer vaccine as early as next week, pending the Health Canada approval, with up to 249,000 coming by the end of the year, which is really good news. Health Canada, under an emergency order, um, 
they they will simply are going to approve this. Previously, the government had indicated expected doses to start arriving in January. Health Canada is currently reviewing potential vaccines from other companies as well. Last week, Ontario Chief Medical Officer David Williams also commented on the possibility of restriction for those who don't receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Williams said, while no one will be forced to get in, uh, inculated, if individuals don't get a vaccine, they may not be allowed into certain settings without some sort of added protection. Right? Hospitals. Nursing homes, retirement homes. You know, even the paramedics and the police and our fire departments. So what might be mandatory is proof of immunization or vaccination with a proper product in order to handle latitude of freedom to move around in certain like to access into long-term care homes or the hospitals and different things without wearing personal protective equipment. Same with school attendance. It may be less like our other vaccines we haven't gone through yet, but we would make it mandatory for access in and sometimes being excluded if there's a risk or hazard going on. Williams said vaccines have been proven historically to be the best thing that we have. Let's just adding to our arsenal vaccines. The province provided more details about its vaccination rollout plan on Monday, saying the first phase of the plan will see vulnerable seniors, their caregivers, and healthcare workers among the first to receive the shot. Now, this might include me because, and, and my oldest brother, because we've been designated as caregivers to our parents because they live in a retirement home. Board says, in addition to those groups, adults in indigenous communities, retirement homes, and recipients of chronic home health care will also be priority groups. So that's really good. You know, this is a start. And it's important that all these people that work in these sensitive areas on our frontline workers and the people who are in retirement homes and nursing homes and people who work in these places, obviously, are to get the vaccine first. Paramedics, police, and fire departments as well. I mean, if people out there, you know, are, you know, they don't want to get the vaccine, fine, you know, but if you work in these areas, then it should be made mandatory for those individuals or frontline workers that they get vaccinated. And yes, and still, this is going to take time. 
as more and more vaccines keep rolling out and people get the notifications that they can go and get their their um, their the vaccine shot. You know, I think we've all, and I, you know, I gotta say thank you to all the people out there around the world who are doing their part. You know, and I really mean that. It's been a struggle for everybody. You know, in our time here in the 21st century, you know, we're facing this pandemic. We're facing this horrible virus. And we all want to get back to normal. But we still have a lot of work to do. Even though this vaccine will be rolling out, it's still going to be necessary to keep these mandated orders, these emergency orders in place. Still wearing a mask, social distancing, don't gather in large groups, sanitizing our hands all the time. You know, today, um, I was talking to somebody that I know and, and they work over at uh, a mall here in the city of London. And uh, a word got out that there was gonna be anti-maskers gonna enter the mall and it was gonna be 50 plus people that was gonna do this. And posted on social media, all these things. And welcome to the Truckers Podcast. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. How are you this evening? I hope that you are well, and that your family and friends are well. So the start of my show here, I was talking about um, uh, the vaccine. And our government of our our, our our Ontario government was mentioning about um, for those who don't want to get the vaccine could face restrictions. Now they're talking about people that work in our hospitals, our doctors and our nurses, and and you know the the whole facility of the hospital, people that work there, retirement homes, nursing homes, paramedics, the police, the fire departments, you know, all these frontline workers, you know, like we, they, and they say, well, we can't force anybody to get the vaccine and they can't, you know, it's like the flu vaccine when it, you know, when it came out, you know, no one was forced to get vaccinated. It was your choice if you want to get vaccinated or not. But, but these people that work in these sensitive areas, um, even the educators, um, 
you know, it's it's necessary and very important that these people, you know, get vaccinated. You know, here um, here in Canada, here in Ontario, where I live, um, all school children before they start school, like pre-kindergarten, and then you know, they their vaccinations all have to be up to date. You know, before children can start school. So, you know, and this is this is one vaccine for the COVID-19 that, you know, our frontline workers, you know, need to be need to be vaccinated. And then they'll vaccinate people who live in the retirement home and the um, Old age, old age homes, as well. You know, all the residents um, there as well. Um, caregivers. You know, they're supposed to, they're uh, personal support workers. You know, who come in and and help out. You know, so basically, just go down the ladder. You know, and get these people vaccinated first. I also mentioned here our Prime Minister of Canada, uh, Justin Trudeau. Um, we should start receiving the doses of the Pfizer vaccine um, as early as next week. And that was pending on the Health Canada approval with up to 249,000 uh, coming by the end of the year, so by the end of December. So Health Canada, um, I can't see why they wouldn't um, approve it. Um, they'll, they'll more likely approve it under um, an emergency order and get this vaccine approved and um, getting these vaccines out to all these places I just mentioned. And then further down the uh, the list um, of the province, um, just going to uh, provide more details about this vaccination rollout plan. Um, like I said, the first phase of the plan will see vulnerable seniors, their caregivers, and healthcare workers among the first to receive the shot. So that's really important. And that's always good news. And this is what we need right now. We need, we need good news. Because what we hear about, you know, around the world as these increases of this virus. Even in the city that I live here in London, um, back a, a couple months back, our, our Ontario government um, phased in uh, a color code levels. So we had a, a green uh, uh, protect, and then we had a yellow protect, and an orange restrict, and a red restrict, and then gray would be locked down depending on how many cases we're seeing each and every single day. 
and that these places, cities, towns, or whatever it may be, will move be moved up each level. Where we already have seen the city of Toronto and the Peel region that is around the city of Toronto um, are in lockdown. And the York region is, is also part of, of, of the Toronto area. It's in the red and could potentially be seeing a lockdown. Just for essential services only. So even though these vaccines will be rolling out, it doesn't mean that these mandated um, safety, what they've implemented on wearing a mask, social distancing, don't rather gather in large groups, stay within your in your in your home home setting with family members only. None of that is none of that is going to change. And none of that's it's not going to change for a while. Because, it, because it's going to take a while for this vaccine to be rolled out. So it's important that we still follow the rules. Because as this vaccine is still being rolled out, we're still going to see increases of cases. We're still going to see cases of COVID-19 while we're waiting to be vaccinated. I hope that this vaccine works. I hope that it is effective. You know, like the, sh uh, like the flu shot that people get every single year. We know that you know, even with the vaccine for the flu, we know it's not a cure, but it certainly lessens the symptoms if you did get the flu. So I hope that this vaccine for COVID-19 is just as effective. So we can get back to our ordinary lives and do the ordinary things that humans are naturally accustomed to doing. You know, and, and from time to time, you know, on my show, you know, I ask people out there, you know, please do the right thing. Now, it's just getting to a part where um, I talking to somebody that I know that works in one of the malls um, here in the city. And um, the word got out that there was going to be an anti-mask march uh, in that mall. And um, it was halted in its tracks. The mall management of this mall in the city of London. Um, they notified the police. And the police sat at every single entrance. 
But anybody trying to enter that mall without a mask on wasn't going to happen. Here in this in here in Ontario, people um, not wearing a mask in, in public buildings are are subject to a thousand dollar fine. The people that organize these marches, uh, they they get a thousand dollar fine, and they also um, get a, a, a court appearance and that they could face the minimum $10,000 fine. Out west in Manitoba, there is a pastor that now has, has uh, been officially charged for holding services when that area of that province uh, were in order into a lockdown. He so far has violated on several occasions and so far he's been fined over $32,000. Here across Canada and our provinces, we are taking this very seriously. And for those violators out there, beware because you are going to be charged. We have a pastor uh, in Elmer, Ontario, not far from London, about a half an hour. He has been charged for organizing the anti-mass marches. His son has also been charged. We've had restaurant owners in the city of Toronto or a restaurant owner in the city of Toronto uh, is all, was also being charged in violation of the shutdown in the city of Toronto, where he simply just took it upon himself that he was gonna open up his restaurant anyhow. He was ordered to close by the courts. He is not to come within 200 feet of his restaurant. He had been operating a, a business, a restaurant business without a business license, which he's also been fined for that as well. So he is in a whole lot of hot water and it's really unfortunate, you know, you know, because small businesses, whether it's a restaurant, you know, the small, the, the small mom and pa shops. Hey, welcome to the Truckers Podcast. You know, small business is struggling enough. Hey, hello. So, you know, and here we have these big box stores, you know, they're allowed to sell everything in their stores, you know, and 
where these these small non-essential stores have to shut down, but these big box stores can sell uh, non-essential items. I really think that's a, a really unfair playing field. Small businesses can better um, do contact tracing. They have better uh, control of how many people they allow in their stores. See, big box stores, Walmart, all these big box stores, they can go everywhere. You know, they, you know, you can have them, I don't know how many people you can have in these big box stores. But the, yet these non-essential businesses all, you know, in, in a lockdown, they have to shut down. Like I mentioned, the city of Toronto and the surrounding area of, of, of Peel. All these non-essential businesses all are in a lockdown. Yeah, COVID-19. You know, here, like I mentioned earlier, here in Canada and here in Ontario, the province that I live in, a uh, couple months back, um, they come up with a, uh, a color-coded um, program um, so we would start off with, um, so you, you, are you a Joe Biden supporter? It's okay. It's okay if you are. Um, I live in Canada, so I have nothing to do with Americans, elections and stuff like that. I'm Canadian. So what they're talking about with the color coded, uh, measurements, um, we start, you know, if, if everything's really well and the case counts are low with COVID, then um, you are in a green protect. And then it goes um, to yellow protect and then orange restrict and red restrict and then black means shut down. So here in Canada, you know, we have something, you know, a little over 300,000 cases countrywide. You know, we're probably in, up in the midst of about 13 to 14,000 people who have died here in Canada. But even with these restrictions in, in the city of Toronto and the surrounding area of, of Peel, um, today, I think that, I think it was, uh, a little uh, close to 1900 or a little over 1900 cases and still in those things yeah bye thank you and um still we're seeing the most cases coming out of toronto in that peel region with this lockdown it's been two weeks So hopefully in the next two weeks, because it's a 28-day lockdown, so hopefully in the next two weeks, we start seeing numbers drop in those areas. That's the whole idea of, of getting this down. So there's another story um, that I was looking at um, earlier. And... 
it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a good, it's a really good story. Um, earlier this morning, you know, I talked a little bit about um, uh, the homelessness, and that was um, in, in, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And this little story here. Um, is a, this gentleman, it was from, uh, from a life on the streets of London here in London, Ontario, Canada, to a life of giving back, why caring makes a difference. But I thought I'd like to, like to share this with everybody. Now, it starts off saying, tonight. And meaning by tonight, that's okay. That's all right. So, what this means by saying tonight, I mean tonight, this Monday night, anywhere from 50 to 80 Londoners will be sleeping rough in tents, under bridges huddled in doorways, or curled up over a steam vent to keep warm. They're all homeless. The kids, as we call them, who really keep them up at night. Sometimes, you know, this is what happens sometimes. It's not always the case, but, you know, homelessness is, is cause for um, many reasons. Sometimes they had a fight with their mother or father and they want to go back home, but the parents don't want them back. He says, I've had a few sleepless nights just to put it lightly. He worries because he knows that despite their vulnerability, they're largely hidden, sleeping on friends' couches or in strangers' beds when they're not in a youth shelter or they're sleeping rough. It's hard to hear some of these stories because you can't always help. We try to give them the resources they need, and they do. And, you know, I mean, not all of them reach out to the resources that are available to them for whatever the reasons are. This gentleman is a volunteer uh, relief worker with the 519 pursuit, he and his colleagues deliver everything from hats, coats, and winter gloves to batteries and food to the people who are just scraping by on the fringes of the city's homeless support system here in the city of London, where I reside. It's people who sleep rough in particular that Butler seeks out. 
He delivers hot lunches to them in his van every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Food, dry socks, a couple of cigarettes, a friendly ear or shoulder to cry on are on offer daily. They talk about their day, how lousy their night was, or, or someone ripped them off of their stuff. The odd time they get a happy story. We get both sides of it, which is nice. Butler understands how much even the smallest act of kindness can mean to people who live on the streets because it was relief workers who helped turn his life around when he came to London. Butler first became homeless. First, what did he say? Butler first became homeless, young in his life, but it fell apart when he was just 13. He spent three years on the streets of Toronto before moving to Sarnia, where he got married. When his marriage broke down a, dec a decade later, he ended up homeless again here in London, Ontario. He was living out of his van, struggling not just to hold down a job, but maintain a veneer of normalcy in front of his colleagues and bosses. They didn't even know that he was homeless. You get people at work saying you wore the same, you wore that three times, three days in a row, and you're still wearing it. What's going on with you? How do you explain that to an employer? Eventually, he found support. It was a, it was a shelter worker at the Unity Project. Now, the Unity Project, I volunteered there about five years ago. And um, I did go back on the road, over the road, again, because, um, you know, money was getting tight. So then I came back off the road. It's been about three years now that I've been not doing any long haul, but I'm back doing um, city work. And um, when all this pandemic is over with, and I hope, you know, soon that, you know, I can get back into doing some volunteering. But the Unity Project, it, it's uh, it's that to uh, help and homelessness, you know, who helped him get an affordable apartment. And he said he has been there ever since, he said. If it wasn't for them, I'd probably be still living in my van. You know, he's one of the lucky ones, ladies and gentlemen. Are the ones still out there, you know, people who have addictions, alcohol and drugs, a mental illness, 
and all three at the same time. And there's still so much more work to be done to help these people. Since then, he's been trying to do his best to give back something he sees as an incredibly important. And this is his way of, of you know, saying thank you for the help that he, that he received. And now he wants to be on the giving side. Yes, absolutely, it's very important to give back, help out. Even if you've never been in this situation, everyone is, is two paychecks away from being homeless, pretty much. Butler knows you can still look put together, even when your life is falling apart, it's something he learned through experience. And that's why he'll ask a perfect stranger whether they're homeless, even when they don't look that part. And it earns them a dirty look. Everybody thinks all the homeless people or just stuck in a doorways and, and, and run and ragged. I've been homeless and I look like I do now, he said. I dress nicely, always dress that way. So we can't, I guess, you know, What's the word I'm looking for? I guess maybe finger point. You know, oh, he's homeless or she's homeless. I could tell because, you know, look at the way they dress. You know, look at, look at what they have and, and stuff, you know. Centering people out. When sometimes you may not even know, like this gentleman here, no one knew that he was homeless. He had jobs and he lived out of his van, but nobody knew. He just got questioned about his clothing, why he was wearing the same clothing three days straight. Homelessness comes with such a, such a stigma that it's hard to know exactly how many people are living without a private space of their own or dangling close to the edge of losing it. The city of London said as, no, as of November, 1,650 people use the city's shelter system in some way within the previous 90 days. It's the kind of grinding poverty that only poised to increase in a city that is simultaneously experiencing a pandemic in the midst of the housing crisis, which even the virus seems unable to cool a hot real estate market that just keeps getting hotter. 
and our real estate market in this city that I live in is just explosive. The growing inequity and the lack of affordable housing means the homeless situation will likely remain long after the pandemic has ended. And it was here long before the pandemic started. Most consider it a perfectly normal to see someone sleeping in the spaces where they, where they walk, either on a downtown sidewalk or on the scraps of green space that line the Thames River, often, throw, off, often throwing distance from the empty buildings where local property um, barons park their wealth. But then most aren't all black. He says the city, with all its affluence, could end homelessness if they really wanted to. Rather than tolerating people sleeping and sometimes dying on the streets. And like I said, homelessness was here long before the pandemic. And it only has gotten worse over the years and over the decades. And so everybody has turned a blind eye and politicians have turned a blind eye. Oh, they got services down there. They'll be fine. They just go here and do this and do that and the next thing. And that's not right. Everybody deserves a safe shelter. Everybody deserves to be safe. I don't understand why the city hasn't just bought one of the buildings. Like there's a couple of buildings behind the Circle K there on Wellington and Dundas. And yes, there is. I don't know what the landlords are doing with these buildings, whether they're looking to rent them out for businesses or what the case may be, I don't know. But here in the city, we have built, uh, I think three now, affordable buildings for rent. So they are starting to do Why don't they just buy one of the buildings or rent one off of somebody and put everyone in there? Well, they're gonna have to make them into apartment units. Right? That's gonna take time. It's gonna take a lot of money. I don't see why not. I think it can be doable. I'm sure there's going to be more to this story in the months ahead as we're, you know, rolling through Christmas, New Year's into January. Hopefully, hopefully we have more vaccines rolling out. 
I guess it's something that we're gonna, you know, it's, you know, see what how how this is going to how this is gonna play out. Now I had another story here on the lighter side. Here it is. You remember the old Christmas movie uh, with Chevy Chase? Um, I think it's uh, the National Lampoon's Christmas. You know, where all his relatives come over, you know, and it's just a big ruckus, you know, and they, and they, and they find that, they find that squirrel um, in the tree. An Australian family finds koala bear in Christmas. An Australian family came home to a very sweet surprise on Wednesday evening. A live juvenile koala bear nestled in the branches of the Christmas. That is just hilarious. The McCormick family of Adelaide, Australia was out on errands on Wednesday and when they came home, it seemed like something was amiss. Several ornaments that once adorned their plastic Christmas tree were scattered on the ground. And the family dog started sniffing at the tree branches and trunk. Upon closer inspection, the family discovered there was a confused looking koala in their tree, attempting to nibble on the plastic branches. I think the dog went straight to the Christmas tree and was sniffing around, and mom thought it was a bit weird to the 16 year old daughter. She looked up and there was a koala in the tree. It was pretty tangled up in the lights. It was, it was a fake tree and very old, but it still tried eating the leaves off it. I saw her munch down on some, but she stopped when she realized it was plastic. I don't know if she realized it was plastic or not. It was just probably just, you know, hard to chew. The family's mother immediately called the Adelaide and Hills uh, Koala Rescue, also known as the uh, 1300 Koalas, upon finding the tree stowaway, but the organization thought it was a joke. The call went through to a 24-hour hotline, and of course the operator at first thought it was a prank call. Co-founder Dee Hearn Helen said, according to a Facebook post by the organization, apparently it took a little bit of convincing that no, Amanda really did have a koala in her Christmas tree. And it was just so gorgeous seeing it sitting there, just looking. You have to see, you have to see the photos here. 
might be able to find it. Let me see. Uh, you'd have to uh, Google uh, Global News, and it was posted on December on December the third. If you want to take a look at the uh, the pictures of this koala bear in the Christmas tree, <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh my God. So, where to leave off here? Um, oh, um, Hearn, um, Helen confirmed that the, uh, the koala is approximately three to four years old and is in good health. Amanda believes that the little koala must have sneaked into the house through an open door. And was probably in there for hours. It's not actually that hot, so um, koalas wouldn't be seeking shade, particularly at that moment. They are curious, and they're in the suburbs. And if they see something that they want to have a look at, they'll just drop in and have a look. <laughs> That's hilarious. After untangling the animal, and conducting a brief examination, the rescue team released, um, because I guess they call them Daphne, into a nearby forest, um, placing her in a tree. This adorable encounter seemed to brighten spirits around the world as people feel frustrated and confined by the various COVID-19 lockdowns and restrictions. That is something else. That is something else. And on social media, a user went so far as to say, Daphne saved 2020. This little koala, little koala bear, Daphne saved 2020. So yeah, you can, you can check that out. Um, that's how you'll find it. Um, like I said, it was, uh, you'd have to Google global, global news and it was posted on December the 3rd. An interesting little story going on there. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for coming out here and joining me this evening. So let's get those thank yous out to all of our workers and our essential workers, our frontline workers, our doctors and our nurses, our paramedics and our police, and our fire department, I thank you for the job that you do day in and day out. And also thank you to my guests on my show today and my followers and, and all the listeners around the world of my podcast. I thank you for taking the time out of your day to join me here on the Truckers Podcast.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, we will rock out the rest of the Trump podcast. Thank you for joining me this evening. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. Take care, everybody, and be safe.